0: Pitch is our perception of
1: Pitch frequency. Pitch is how that note sounds.
0: Pitch
2: is... Welcome to Pitch. I'm Whitney Jones. And I'm Alex Kappelman. So, it's the holidays, and we figured that we'd just give you a surprise special present.
1: Just so you know what, what you'll hear, there's a couple brand new stories that we have for you. Also, we were on stage a couple weeks ago here in New York with a live holiday show.
2: And you'll hear a couple of segments from that as well. All right. So let's just jump right in. Without further ado, here's the 2018 Pitch Holiday Special. This is a story about Orrin Hatch, the Republican senator from Utah, and why he, a devout Mormon, wrote a Hanukkah song. I'm going to play you the song at the end of this piece. But first... I want to tell you the story. The characters include Senator Hatch, a Mormon woman who's considered one of the most important songwriters in the history of the LDS Church, and an award-winning journalist who has a love for the absurd. We're going to start with him.
3: My name is Jeffrey Goldberg. I'm the editor-in-chief of The Atlantic.
2: So you're the editor-in-chief of, you know, one of the most prestigious magazines right now. Do you do you find yourself asking yourself, why am I doing this interview? Yes. <laughs>
3: Absolutely.
2: (laughs) Jeff grew up Jewish in the 1970s, and he celebrated Hanukkah with his family. Like their neighbors, they had an electric menorah.
3: I think it was the big thing on Long Island in that period.
2: Got Hanukkah gifts.
3: Maybe some hot wheels. I'm associating hot wheels with Hanukkah.
2: For Jeff, it was just a normal American holiday that happened every year. Nothing super special. Jeff grew up, graduated from college, he moved to Israel got a job as a reporter at the Jerusalem Post. And at some point, he started getting interested in Hanukkah and realized something.
3: It's the only holiday in the Jewish calendar that really is purely about politics and really not about God and the intervention of God in history. It's a story about a rebellion. It's a story about empire versus indigenous people. It's a story about uh, religious freedom or a certain understanding of religious freedom. a story about assimilation today.
2: To simplify the story a bit, The Hanukkah legend goes like this. A couple thousand years ago, this is like 168 BCE, the Syrians ruled the land of Israel. They outlawed Judaism, killed thousands of people, and desecrated the second temple, which was a holy site. A band of Jews, led by a guy named Judah Maccabee, fought back and rose up. And they won. They forced the Syrians out of Jerusalem. They restored the holiness of the temple, which included a menorah, which was supposed to be lit at all times. This is where the Hanukkah miracle comes in. The temple only had enough oil for one day of keeping the menorah lit. But, miraculously, the menorah stayed lit for eight days. That's why we celebrate eight days of Hanukkah. Now, why Hanukkah is such a big deal in American culture, that's another story.
3: I mean, that's the thing. It's not actually supposed to be a big deal now. It's just calendar proximity makes it unavoidable. Calendar proximity to Christmas. And I became fascinated... 20 or 30 years ago, by a certain truth of Christmas, which is Christmas is more or less scripted in America by uh, Jews. This isn't a
2: big secret. White Christmas, Winter Wonderland, Let It Snow, basically any Christmas song that you know and love, if it doesn't mention Jesus, there's a high chance it was written by a Jew. So we know that Jews can write great holiday music, but... Most Hanukkah music
3: is very, very bad.
2: I agree with Jeff. Jeff. I don't think most Hanukkah music is very good. For example, there are three main songs that my family sings around the menorah every year. There's Hanukkah, oh Hanukkah, come light the menorah. Then there's dreidel, 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 I made it out of clay. So those are like children's songs. And then there's Mot It's sung in Hebrew. It's translated as Rock of Ages in English. And it's a Hanukkah classic. Legend has it, the song traces back to the Middle Ages. It goes, So those are the big Hanukkah songs, in my mind at least. Aside from probably the most popular one.
4: on your So much Hanukkah to celebrate Hanukkah.
2: Hanukkah. This is the Hanukkah song by Adam Sandler, and of course it's a classic, but it's ridiculous. It's comedy. It, he's just being silly.
4: David Lee Roth lights the menorah, so do James Kurt Douglas and the late Dinosura.
2: You're not going to hear Bruce Springsteen or Mariah Carey sing this song, or Dreidel Dreidel, or Mo or whatever on Z100. Long story short, the Hanukkah canon kind of sucks. So Jeff, in a kind of half-serious way, decided to do something about it. He ran a contest through the Jerusalem Post, soliciting brand new Hanukkah songs. He got tons of submissions. Did you get anything good?
3: No, nothing. (laughs) No breakthrough hits, no. (laughs) Um, There was no Pharrell of Hanukkah music that emerged.
2: So that was that. This wasn't his big passion in life, so he just moved on, not knowing that just a few years later, his potential Hanukkah savior might be writing music that sounds like this.
4: Jesus' love is like a river flowing through my soul and
2: This is Jesus' love is like a river. It was written by none other than Senator Orrin Hatch, along with a woman named Janice Cap Perry.
5: Uh, this is Janice Cap Perry. I'm a writer of gospel music out here in Utah.
2: Provo, Utah, to be exact, home of Brigham Young University. It's a city with a huge Mormon population, and Janice fits right in.
5: My whole life is based on my faith. I myself have produced a hundred albums based on my Christian belief
2: one hundred albums, not songs, albums. her music is sung in Mormon churches all over the United States and all over the world. Janice has been collaborating with Hatch for 20 years, but before they started working together, she just admired him from afar.
5: I've always been a fan of Senator Hatch. he's from Utah, and we know him well, and we're proud of all that he does
2: but until about 1996 They never met each other until a member of Janice's family died. Actually, it was also a member of Hatch's family. Turns out they're distantly related. So there they were, both at the funeral of this family member, and she spots him. He's greeting people, and he finally gets to Janice.
5: Well, I was a a bit in awe of meeting him, actually. When I saw him, I I was still a little starstruck. They strike up a conversation and pretty quickly start talking about music.
2: Of course, they have a lot in common. Hatch is an amateur singer and poet. He plays piano, violin, and organ. Before he got elected to the Senate in 1976, he managed a Mormon rock group. And he's a mega super fan of Barbara Streisand, who, for what it's worth, is a pretty outspoken liberal. All of this, of course, is a pretty far cry from being a senator. But after they started working together, Hatch would eventually admit something to Janice.
5: He said things are not always so nice back there in Washington, Sometimes it feels even like the depths of degradation. To have this time that I could sit alone and ponder some religious lyrics, he said that would mean everything to me. It's just the diversion I need. But back
2: at the funeral, he kept things simple.
5: He said, I write poetry, you know? And I said, you did? Well, we should collaborate. And he got very serious and he said, yes, we should. When shall we start? I said, well, let's talk a little bit after the funeral. So Janice went home. She
2: wasn't sure if Hatch was serious about following up. And then one day, out of the blue, he sent her some lyrics.
5: I loved his ideas. We mostly had to work on the form. But he was willing. He loved to be taught. And so we wrote our first song together. I think it was My God is Love. It got very exciting after we got the hang of working together. We just saw the possibility of of maybe recording albums together.
2: And that's what they did. They had fun. Especially when they were recording.
5: He would come out to Utah and go right to the recording studio with us. And he he got so excited. Just clapping and, and hugging the people that were in the studio after they had done their part. That was fantastic. It was like a Kid in a candy store.
2: Hatch has written over a hundred songs at this point, with Janice, but also with other songwriters. He's also written songs about Princess Diana and Mother Teresa, and his old friend Ted Kennedy. His songs have been sung by Gladys Knight, performed on Oprah, and at a presidential inauguration. He has a platinum record and a gold record. Reportedly, he's even made tens of thousands of dollars from his work. All of this... He got attention in political circles. So in 1999, when Hatch declared that he would run for president in the Republican primary, people knew about his music. One of those people was Jeff Goldberg. By that point, Jeff had moved back to the States and he had a new gig.
3: I had a semi-recurring feature in the New York Times Magazine at the time in which I would go do stupid things with famous people. He went driving in luxury cars with Ralph Nader, went shooting with Tom Clancy.
2: And when Hatch ran for president, he thought that could be his next fun piece.
3: I've always been interested in politicians who have a three-dimensional life because they're so rare. If they ever had other interests, hobbies, obsessions, these things fall away. And the fact that Orrin Hatch was a prolific songwriter struck me as interesting.
2: So they set something up. And soon, Jeff found himself sitting with Hatch, who was all too excited to be talking about his songwriting.
3: And he started playing me songs that he had written.
4: When I say, Merry Christmas,
3: Christmas music.
6: A of this world.
3: Christmas song after Christmas song.
6: Christ
4: was able.
3: A succession of Christmas songs.
4: We share the Christmas heart.
3: And I was like, okay, already, but what about Hanukkah? It was a throwaway observation by a wise-ass, that's all. As soon as I introduced the subject of Judaism into the conversation, if I recall correctly, started unbuttoning his shirt, which is a little weird, um, and pulling out from under his shirt um, a mezuzah on on a chain.
2: Mezuzahs are a Jewish thing. It's this tiny box that contains a scroll with verses from the Torah written on it. It's traditionally hung on door frames of Jewish homes, But some people wear a mezuzah necklace, just like Hatch. Hatch, of course, is Mormon. But a lot of Mormons believe that they're the direct descendants of the Israelites. And when you travel across a desert to escape persecution, you may tend to feel a certain kinship for those who have walked before you. So when Hatch pulled out the mezuzah chain, Jeff ate it up.
3: I was quite charmed, and I don't remember the exact dialogue. I can imagine, because I haven't changed that much, that I would have said, you have to write a Hanukkah song now.
2: So did he just, like, dismiss it? Was it? Were You just?
3: You were just like, yeah, read Hanukkah song. No, Psalm. he didn't dismiss it. He liked the idea. I mean, who wouldn't like the idea? <laughs> did you actually expect him to write one? Hope springs eternal, right? <laughs> uh, why wouldn't he write one? But then he dropped it.
2: After Jeff wrote his article, he didn't hear back from Hatch about the Hanukkah song. A few weeks went by. Then a few months. Then a few years. Nine years went by. So by 2008... Jeff had basically given up hope. And now he had another new gig. He was blogging for The Atlantic. In mid-December of that year, around Hanukkah time, he wrote a quick post lamenting the fact that the Hanukkah song with Hatch never happened. He addressed a line directly to the senator. Call me, he said. I'm ready to get back to work. The need is as strong as ever. One week later, it was Christmas Eve.
3: I was with my family, small kids at the time, um, in the Walmart in Martinsburg, West Virginia. There was a kosher food display, and I was giving my kids a speech about how America is a wonderful place because even in West Virginia, you could find kosher food or something like that. And all of a sudden, his phone rang. And it was Orrin Hatch calling on Christmas Eve, and I was shocked. I don't know, I just assume that Christian people have other things to do on Christmas Eve besides call reporters. And I said, Senator, it's Christmas Eve. And he goes, yes, it is. And then I think the next thing, I knew he was sending me these charming, completely earnest, uh, rhyming lyrics about the Hanukkah miracle, and uh, it was off to the races.
2: Jeff connected with the Jewish magazine Tablet to film the session. Meanwhile, Hatch reached out to Madeline Stone, a Jewish songwriter who he'd worked with before. She'd actually won this prestigious Christian Music Award, a Dove Award, for something she'd written. Madeline reached out to a producer, who in turn recruited a Palestinian-American singer. Then, one afternoon, they all met in a studio in New York City. This is the song they wrote and recorded. It's called Eight Days of Hanukkah.
6: amazed at how successful I've been. And it isn't just because I'm a senator. Some people actually like the music.
2: This is Senator Orrin Hatch. I obviously had to reach out to him to see what he had to say about this whole experience. Why did you feel like, I really need to write a Hanukkah song?
6: Because I have deep feelings about the Jewish people, deep feelings about what they went through, deep feelings about the time of Hanukkah. And uh, it's been suggested to me more than once that... uh, They needed a spiritual Hanukkah song because the Adam Sandler joking about Hanukkah was one thing, but they need. But Hanukkah is a very spiritual matter, and uh, I thought, what the heck, I'm going to write that. So I'm actually interested in in how you
2: view yourself as a songwriter.
6: (laughs) Well, you know, let's face it i I am (laughs) I don't have nearly the background or the talent that a lot of songwriters have. Uh, but I've had a lot of songwriters tell me that uh, what I do is really pretty good. And, of course, I I like this Hanukkah song, and almost every Jewish person who's ever heard it has told me they like it.
2: You've also said that Barbara Streisand is, like, your number one, like, you know, you'd love to have her sing one of your songs. What is it about her that you, like, really love? Like, what speaks to you when, you know, when you listen to a Barbara Streisand song?
6: Well, she has a very pure and beautiful voice. And, uh, you know, plus, I, I just... I just like her. I always have, always will. She's a remarkable recording artist, and and in my eyes, a remarkable woman. She probably doesn't like me, and certainly probably doesn't like uh, my political thinking, but that's okay. I mean, I've, (laughs) I've had a lot of people who started out not liking me and wound up liking me a lot. Maybe she will.
2: If I could somehow get a message to Barbara Streisand for you, what would you want me to tell her?
6: Well, I'd like you to tell her that even though I'm a, a Mormon uh, songwriter and a Republican conservative, that I admire her and I love her ability to sing. And uh, the fact that she's Jewish, uh, if we could collaborate on a Jewish song like the Hanukkah song, it would be a terrific thing. And she would be, she would be fantastic on that song. And if she sings my Hanukkah song, I think she will wind up liking me.
2: <laughs> All right, hopefully I can get that message to her.
6: Good. Well, it's been good to talk to you.
2: Yeah, thank you so much, Senator. Um, I really appreciate your time.
6: Okay, take care.
2: Sadly, Barbara Streisand's team didn't reply to my requests for an interview, but now that the senator is about to retire, maybe he can try himself. Janice Cap Perry is hopeful that she and Hatch will work together in the coming years. And as for Jeff Goldberg, maybe he didn't get his breakthrough Pharrell hit, but he's still pretty satisfied. I mean... You didn't think it would be like a hit or anything. Did you think it would do anything?
3: Did me? Did I? Yeah. Look, I'm not an idiot. (laughs) I mean, um, I think it's perfectly catchy. Actually, it's very catchy. It is pretty catchy. I I did not think it was going to replace Rock of Ages in the Hanukkah canon, Mm -hmm. if that's what you mean.
2: Right. You're not singing it around the menorah every year.
3: Um, No, although I was once at a Hanukkah party at the Israeli ambassador's residence and Orrin Hatch was also there. And there was an attempt to get him to sing the Hanukkah song. I don't think it worked for whatever reason. Maybe uh. there was no piano player. That was, that was taking it to the next degree of absurdity.
5: Right.
3: Look, is it the greatest Jewish song ever written? No. But um, a Mormon elder Republican senator named Orrin Hatch decided to write a Hanukkah song with a Jewish songwriter and have it sung by an Arab American singer, it's nice to think that something like that could happen.
1: For our next act, we have musician Mal Blum. They're a fantastic musician. Mal is performing at the Park Church Co-op in Brooklyn on January 12th. And without further ado, Mal.
7: Thanks. Can I sit in this chair? Is this? Yeah, this seems good. I'm not playing music. <laughs> um, Alex, I'm a songwriter, and Alex was like, hey, do you want to play a holiday song at the, at the pitch party? And I was like, uh, I don't want to bring my stuff, so I'm just going to write some sardonic Jewish poems for you. <clears throat> so I thought I would read some if, if you're amenable. Does that sound good? Yeah. Oh, hi, Jeff. What's up? A Jew's Understanding of Christmas Traditions, Part 1. <clears throat> By the way, happy Hanukkah. <clears throat> Golden chestnuts, warm hearth, aromatic cedar, softly curling snow. When I was 16, I got drunk and stole a baby Jesus from a manger. Rudolph, twinkling lights, popcorn garlands strung taut across perfectly fibrous needles of pine. The baby Jesus broke my friend's TV and we all thought it was God. Blushing family moments, joyful togetherness, thoughtful exchanges. When I was five, I told a girl that Santa wasn't real and she cried. Matching pajamas, piping hot chocolate, brisk after dinner walks, saccharine sugar plums. Me and the other Jews drive around and rank your Christmas lights every year. <laughs> I'll be home for Christmas. I'm dreaming of a white Christmas. Jingle bell rock. Let it snow, let it snow, let it. My mom told me not to tell anybody any of this because of anti Semitism. Snow. <laughs> <laughs> Triumphant homecomings, tearful embraces. <laughs> Nostalgic comfort, the yule log, the family dog, I'm sorry mom, spiked eggnog, crisp gingerbread, I will never stop being sorry to my mom for something, tobogganing, trimming the tree, I dread the day my non-existent children come to me mouth slick with peppermint and eyes ablaze with balsam and fur and ask me for Santa. and instead I will gift them an explanation about religious minorities and anti-assimilationism. Christmas cards, Christmas cookies, Christmas carolers, Christmas chimney, Father Christmas, stocking stuffers, Merry Christmas, I'm sorry, Mom.
2: <laughs> Mal Blum. Um, so our next two guests are gonna take us right into Christmas, right? So. They have a podcast, an amazing show called Nancy from WNYC. Ladies and gentlemen, Tobin Lowe and Kathy too. Usually
8: this is when we come out. Okay, cool. All
0: right, now we feel good.
8: Uh, my name's Tobin. I'm Kathy. We co host Nancy. Woo, hey, Thank you. Oh, hi. Um, if you don't know, it is a show all about uh, queer storytelling, stories yeah. about queer people. Yeah, um, and we thought we would jump out here with a quick holiday music PSA. If I think about Christmas music, the thing that I cannot understand is the obsession with getting it on with Santa Claus. Oh. Okay, yeah. this is a thing.
0: It is a thing. Yeah, it makes me uncomfortable.
8: It makes me so deeply uncomfortable. The man is in a monogamous, loving relationship. <laughs> And yet here we are singing about how Santa's hot, and anyway, we have a little PowerPoint presentation.
0: Yeah. Okay. Should we go to the next
8: one? Sure. Who knows the song "I Saw Mommy Kissing Santa Claus"? Anyone? Yeah. Okay. Super sweet song. Not so. Let's take a quick listen.
0: Why? Wow! Mommy's kissing.
8: Okay, let's stop right here. Let's stop right here. Why? The wonderment with which this child is witnessing adultery (laughs) is insane.
0: (laughs) Wow!
2: (laughs) Oh, this is pretty bad. I kind of feel like the need to apologize. I'm sorry. Yes, just
0: continue, continue to do that. (laughs)
2: Let's
0: listen
8: to more lyrics. Yeah,
0: more lyrics, here we go. (gasps) Um, Well, first, Michael's adorable. He sounds great. Yes. The song is catchy. Yeah. But, like, let's just picture the scenarios here. All right? This kid (laughs) sees his mom kissing Santa Claus and's like, I can't wait to tell Dad. Mm -hmm. This is going to be great. My life is going to (laughs) change.
8: And, in fact, if only Dad was here.
0: If only he was here to see how our lives are going to change.
8: Oh, what a laugh it would have been if Daddy had only seen... Really? Really, kid?
0: And we can't get married. I'm sorry.
8: (laughs) Next slide. Okay, classic. We love Eartha Kitt. Any Eartha Kitt fans in the house? Yeah. Eartha Kitt's amazing. Have you seen that clip where there's like an interview asking her if she like would change herself for a man and she just laughs? (laughs) (laughs) It's incredible. (laughs) This song, however. (sighs) Should I play it? Sure.
9: Think of all
1: The fun I've missed Think of all the fellas that I haven't kissed Next year I could be just as good If you
0: check off my Christmas list
8: The boning energy of this song (laughs) is out of control
0: Out of control, tell him Tobin
8: There's a lyric in here that says, won't you come down my chimney tonight? My God. (laughs) So I think what, if we can leave you with any thought, there's really only one romantic Christmas song that we can all enjoy wholeheartedly.
0: Multiple times.
8: (laughs) And that of course is.
0: Always. I'm gonna play it. Yeah, I have to. You hear the, you hear these bells and automatically you already feel good.
5: (laughs) Yeah,
0: yeah, do that. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if there's anything else to say, but (laughs) shall we all sing along? No, we should not sing along.
8: I think legally we have to stop it now. Mariah's going to show up and be like, no more.
2: Tobin low Kathy Two from Nancy
9: hi my name is Akim Van and I was the child singer on Santa Claus is a black man hey I think the story represents being included. And so when we think of things that are happy and good and Christmassy, they're often through a very white lens. We always end up finding out that Santa Claus, the people that are bringing you your presents are your parents or your family members. And so in that same vein, if that's true, then for me, because my father is black, Santa Claus is a black man. So my father was Teddy Van, his name is Teddy Van, and he was a writer-producer, probably best known for winning a Grammy for writing and producing a song by Luther Vandross called The Power of Love, Love Power. Daddy?
6: Yes, Akinni? What happened, uh Kim?
4: Well, I saw Santa Claus, and do you know what? What a Kimmy. He looked a lot like you. He was handsome. I can dig it. He was black. Right on. He had an apple, he was really out of sight. Now I'm going to tell everybody that I saw Santa. Oh, that's pretty cool. Santa Claus is a
9: black. My dad passed away, I think it was like about nine years now. And so When I started hearing it then, it became very sentimental and I'm hearing my dad. My dad had a very distinctive, amazing voice. And so to hear his voice and to have this heirloom in a sense, right? This like living thing that I can just, you know, he did it for me. I'm like, this was his gift to me. And so as an adult, I'm like, wow, it's just very touching.
4: I want to wish everybody happy Kwanzaa, happy Kwanzaa.
1: for Jess. There you are. Okay, um, that brings us pretty much through Christmas. Uh, I realize it's the 2nd of December, but here we are. We're getting towards the end now. So last Sunday I was walking around the city with Jessica and we stopped into a store and I heard let it snow for the third time that day. This was last week. After running it by my editor, I tweeted, Let it snow is baby it's cold outside, but with enthusiastic consent. (laughs) I wasn't really looking for a response, but one of my little brother's friends, well, he added me. He said, we need to better define what Christmas songs are. Most songs we consider Christmas songs are just, hey guys, it's snowing songs. (laughs) I don't know that we actually do need to define Christmas Christmas songs better. If there's music you don't like, don't listen to it. But saying it's not real Christmas music and doesn't belong on anyone else's real Christmas music playlist, that just feels judgy. So I plotted my revenge. I tried to see what would happen if I secularized religious Christmas songs. Like, what would happen if I just took out all the Jesus stuff? For example, silent night, night. (laughs) All is calm, all is bright. Sleep in peace. <laughs> Sleep in peace. <laughs> Kinda sounds like you just killed someone in the cold on a cold time at night. And even though I just said that, there's already a new true crime podcast about it. Uh, or, or how about this one? Night. The stars are brightly shining. It is the night. A thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. And that's it. (laughs) It's like Garfield without Garfield, and I am John Arbuckle. (laughs) Alone, on a cold night, getting really damn excited about the sun rising. So Jessica, who I mentioned earlier, is Jewish, and I celebrate Hanukkah with her, but I am not Jewish. My family are still Mormon, which is neither Catholic nor Protestant, but still Christian. Uh, It's confusing, and I can send a couple guys by your apartment if you want them to explain it to you more. (laughs) So I am not Mormon or Christian, but I celebrate Christmas with my family anyway. But the music. In spite of all the good secular Christmas stuff, there's nothing that really resonates with me all that much anymore. So I went looking in other places, and what I found has become my favorite holiday song for years now. Auld Lang Syne. As far as I can tell, it's a song that celebrates getting together with friends and however you define family, raising a glass to those who are with us and those who can't be, remembering where we've been and looking forward to the future. So if we could get everybody up on stage who has participated in the show, thank you all for being here. Happy holidays and happy new year. And now I'd like to all sing Auld Lang Syne with you. As always, Pitch is produced and edited by Alex Kaplman and me, Whitney Jones. Uh,
2: We want to give a special thanks to Thomas Curry for helping us with this episode. Also, for the Orrin Hatch story, I want to thank Madeline Stone, who I did a fantastic interview with, but I just could not fit into the story. She's had a really interesting and amazing career and is super lovely, so thank you, Madeline, again. I also want to thank Anna Bross, Emily Corona, John Perry, Jackson Bierfeldt, Priscilla Huff, Monitor Studios, and Matt Whitlock. We want to thank everybody who participated in the live show. Jessica Levy, Linda Holmes, Tobin
1: Lowe, Kathy Tu, Mal Blum, Victoria Ruiz, Bradley Campbell, Savannah Honorcamp smith Will Coley, Jeffrey Lewis, Nate Sloan, Charlie Harding, Ben Lilly, Ann Houston,
2: Scott Kappelman, Alex Goffick, and Jesse Featherstone. That is it for this episode. Have a lovely, lovely holiday season, everybody. Happy
1: holidays. Happy New Year.